Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast, episode 1087. This is my interview with Hazard Lee, and we're discussing his new book, The Art of Clear Thinking. I hope you enjoy. Hazard, welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Great to have you here today. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be on. Uh, not your first interview, I know, because you're celebrating the launch of your book, The Art of Clear Thinking, a stealth fighter's pilot's timeless rules for making tough decisions. So, um, very uh, interesting book and certainly going to be an interesting conversation. So thanks for coming on today. Thank you. My pleasure. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? You're a, you're a fighter pilot. Yeah, that's one of the things I do. So I'm, I'm a fighter pilot. Uh, got into it. Well, I mean, really, it goes back to when I was five years old, went to an air show and uh, saw the Thunderbirds fly, got a chance to hop in the cockpit of one of these jets. It was an F-16 and was just awestruck by how many buttons it had. Uh, it was like yeah. being in a alien spaceship. So uh, was hooked on that and went about uh, kind of a circuitous path to getting into the Air Force Academy and then a pilot training. And so the last uh, decade plus of my career, I've been flying the F-16 and the F-35. So I know Australia has the F-35. We help train train up some of your pilots, fantastic pilots out there. So, uh, so that's what I do on a day-to-day basis until about 2020. And then I got out and became a writer. So I still fly part-time in the reserves a few times a month in case there's a, a major war that kicks off. I can still uh, deploy with them. But my primary job is focusing on writing and uh, and being an author, getting a book out there. Okay. So your first book, um, The Art of Clear Thinking, what prompted you to, to make that change in career and write this book? So I had gotten back from Afghanistan in 2017, and I had been selected to transition to the F-35. It was still a, a new jet, so it wasn't IOC, as we call it, initial operating capability. So I had a few months until the training course started, and I was writing down some of the stories from Afghanistan because we were there during a really pivotal period of the time. And I realized that uh, you know I needed to get an audience to be able to write a book. You can't just go out there and write a book anymore since these publishers they can't really sell books anymore. They rely on the the authors. So I, I started a podcast and then started social media to to uh, to really promote the podcast. But ultimately, what I wanted to do was to share some of this institutionalized knowledge. So as fighter pilots, we've really been on the leading edge of decision-making theory for the last 50 years since John Boyd dev, uh, developed the OODA loop based on his experiences dogfighting during the Korean War. And Sorry, it really hasn't gotten de- out there. De- Sorry, he developed the what? Sorry? The OODA loop, Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. So if you haven't had a chance to read it, I have it over my shoulder. I know a lot of people are probably on audio, but Boyd um, is a fantastic book. He was one of the key uh, fighter pilots uh, during the Cold War, helped develop the F-16, which I flew. Um, But yeah, we have a lot of institutionalized knowledge in terms of learning, in terms of decision-making, and it hasn't really gotten a chance to get out there. So I wanted to write a book that was exciting, that was applicable to a lot of people, almost like a Malcolm Gladwell book combined with elements of Top Gun. So mostly storytelling, because that's how we learn as humans. We don't just learn from a list of facts. We learn from experiences and then the adjacent experiences from other people's stories. So um, so I've tried to put all that information into the book, and it's been well-received, so it's great to see it finally out there. So the art of clear thinking, not just about how to think better necessarily, but making or learning, I guess, as primarily the f- foundational point of that, and then making de- better decisions from that. 
Correct. I think the best compliment you can give someone is not that they're smart, it's that they're a clear thinker. And as fighter pilots, if you boil my job down, it's to make decisions, thousands of decisions each flight, often with incomplete information and lives on the line. And it's really, you know, if you boil it down, I am in a a suit of technology that augments my decisions. I can fly a hundred times faster than I could by foot. I can carry far more. I'm thousands of times more capable than I could be on my own. But that's not just for me as a fighter pilot. Really, it's all of us. Our, Our phones can do the job of dozens of people from just a few years ago. Same thing with our computers. Our cars are smart. There are reports now out of Silicon Valley that the next billion dollar company will be run by three or fewer people. And that's because of the leverage that AI is having. So each one of those decisions is extremely leveraged, just like we have as fighter pilots. So it's important. I don't know about you, but I never learned a decision-making framework. We never focused on it at school. So it wasn't until I became a fighter pilot that I really started to dive into this. Right. I can, I can tell by speaking with you that you're quite a clear thinker as well. Well, thank you. Like I said, that's the best compliment you can give someone. So fi- flying these fighter jets, um, I, I can only assume you have to be perhaps not fairly smart, but you have to be knowledgeable of how to use that that equipment around you. Um, but then how to use that in a very rapid situation where you've got uncertain details of information coming at you uh, very quickly, right? Correct. Yeah, these air combat's extremely complicated. One of the big, biggest misconceptions that people have is it's this 1v1 cage match from like Top Gun. You send up your best plane or two against the enemy's best plane or two, but it's really far from that. It's really, we're sending up dozens, if not hundreds of aircraft, and it's multi-domain. So we have assets on the ground, we have assets in the sea, we have assets in space, even in the cyber world. And so our job is to mission plan these scenarios to develop a, a plan that can ultimately achieve our end objective. So really complex scenarios that we're trying to to drive and ultimately win in. The enemy is doing the same thing. They're targeting our weaknesses, targeting our decision-making, the uncertainty. So it's, it's the fog and friction of war is absolutely a real thing. And so it's the person or side that can think the clearest and quickest that usually wins. Okay, so as part of the training which you were involved in towards the, the later part of your career there, training others to become a fighter pilot jet, um, these are the things you run them through, how to you know learn better, how to learn faster, how to make better decisions, and you've got tools um, to help you do that? Yeah, absolutely. So I had a really unique experience of of helping to develop the syllabus for the F-35. So the F-16 had been set. It had been around since the 1970s. So with the F-35, there's a new, it's a completely new aircraft, a new paradigm of air combat. There's a lot of different changes. And so in 2017 through 2020, we were trying to figure out how to teach pilots in a new way that's more efficient than it was in the past. Okay. Um, the F-35 presents some unique opportunities since it's such a smart aircraft it's a lot different than just the the stick and rudder flying that that you might have seen in you know the first top gun or in the 1990s type uh, scenarios it's 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 really about being able to see these complex scenarios the f-35 is essentially a flying supercomputer and when we go out still 80 percent of the force are these fortune legacy fighters so our job is to find a way to utilize them effectively. So it's it's a it's a unique way of operating a jet. And so we had to develop a new syllabus for doing that. And these jets are, are pretty expensive to fly, anywhere between thirty and fifty thousand dollars an hour. So we had to develop some new techniques for allowing students to learn faster. 
I know this is probably a very um, basic level sort of idea, but is it similar to like driving an old manual vehicle from the 60s as opposed to driving perhaps one of the newest um, smart, you know, electronic cars today? No, that's a, perfect, that's a perfect example. So the F-16 designed in the 70s, it's been upgraded a little bit, but I would say it's inherently a 1990s type aircraft. So it's like a 1990s Corvette. Uh, great fun to fly. It's still my favorite aircraft. It's, you know, manual. Whereas the F-35, it's like driving a new Tesla. So you, you have different characteristics. It's a lot smarter, a lot more situational awareness. There's a lot of other things if you want to go into it, but... Uh, it's an incredible plane. Not quite as fun to fly as the F-16. That's still still more of a visceral experience. But what it required was a new way of learning, a new way of, of instructing. Um, so that that's one of the things I did during my last job on active duty. Not quite as fun. Is that because it's not as much hands-on and you're more thinking about the, the AI or the, the technology? And how to yeah, you're a little that. bit more of a, a, of a systems operator. And honestly, mm -hmm. we've been kind of evolving the F-16 to do that as well. Before uh, I transitioned to the F-35, I was flying the F-16 Block 50, so the Wild Weasel mission going out and suppression, suppressing the enemy SAM sites. So if you saw the the latest Top Gun, those those missile sites on the, the canyon walls, my job was to destroy those. So we kind of fly the F-16 like we do the F-35 now, so it's not low altitude. Um, it's it's more of being a, a systems operator. So the F-35 just does it phenomenally. Right. So efficiencies, capability-wise, much next-level sort of equipment. Absolutely, next level. I mean, it's 40 years newer. It's stealth. Stealth is the ticket to the ball game now. If you're in a mid or high-level war, you have to be stealth. Otherwise, you're going to get shot down if you go into these missile engagement zones. It um, has amazing sensors. So we can see out to the horizon. It's incredible. And to combine those two things is very difficult to make a mm. stealth aircraft because it's inherently in the design. Uh, if you look at the F-35, very smooth, no antennas, vents, things like that. Um, so so it's very difficult to be able to build the sensors into the skin. It also communicates with those other fighters extremely well. It has sensor fusion. So it fuses all the information together, whereas the F-16, your brain was the fusion. So it, the best example I could say is like driving that 1990s Corvette stick shift through a city with a computer on your lap with 10 yeah. browser windows open. So unfortunately, we had six times the C-Fit controlled flight into terrain that uh, other platforms did in the F-16 where the pilot was just too busy and either uh, G-lock, G-induced loss of consciousness and hit the ground or ran into a mountain and, uh, and killed themselves. So the F-35 does that all automatically. So it allows me to see the battlefield much easier. Right. Do you think, because you said, you know, as now the operator, but primarily in the F-16, you had to, I guess, do more and use your brain more potentially. Um, and maybe that's an ignorant sort of idea, but is that what happens? Because I assume in the in the, the new F-35, you still have to use your brain if as much, if not more, but in a different capacity. Oh yeah, you're using your brain. I, what we what we teach is to the ninety percent level. Anything above ninety percent, anything above one hundred percent is automatically going to start shedding off. So at ninety percent, you need to start prioritizing what are the most important tasks. So even though the F thirty five is far easier to fly, far easier to employ, we're still pushing the pilots to do as much as possible. F thirty five costs about a hundred million dollars a piece, so it's an extremely expensive asset on the battlefield. So we want to have the biggest effect possible. So 
we are just as busy in the F-35 as the F-16. But if you can, you know, imagine the decisions are a lot more complex. It's about force integration. It's about being able to control those F-16s out there so that you're utilizing their weapons, their gas, since 80% of the fighters are those legacy fighters. So you're just as busy, if not more busy in the F-35. It's just a little bit different. Yeah, I just often wonder about, you know, tech coming into our lives more and more like now with a, a smart car driving us around, uh, potentially to the point where we don't even have to put hands on a wheel. Um, you know, it stops our brain from thinking about what we're doing there and perhaps we can do other things. But, yeah, I often wonder how how smart that's going to make us all or not, not as smart. Yeah, I mean, in the 1950s, they said computers were going to do all the work for us and we'd just mm. be sitting around, you know, working two-hour work weeks, but that clearly didn't happen. So it's the same thing with the F-35. Even though we have a lot of technology to augment our decisions to help us out, we're just making higher-level decisions. So we're just as busy in the F-35, just like people are busy in their jobs, even more so with technology. Making high-level decisions, um, so more more effective and efficient mm. with that in mind too. So let's, before we delve into some of the, the practical tools potentially that can be taken from your field to, to anyone's daily life, what are some of the practices that you do daily to help you have a clear head and, and allow you to be a clear thinker? So I think the first thing is flying. So I think flying, unlike any other thing out there, uh, I mean, it, it is it is the ultimate test. As soon as you take off, even if you're soloing a, a Cessna, your job, if you're solo, is to to be able to ultimately land yourself and nobody else can help you. So I think flying is one of the best tools that you can use to, to develop clear thinking because you're going to have a test at the end. Did you walk away or did you not? And so I think having that accountability is important. I think debriefing is critical. So when we fly, we'll only fly for about an hour to an hour and a half. But when we come back, we will spend two to six hours debriefing that sortie, going through everything that we did wrong and how to do it better. Sometimes listening to the same radio call 15 times to find a way to to say it better the next time. So that is an extremely effective tool that I see that's not used quite quite as much as it should be in the civilian world. Doesn't need to be two to six hours. Just having a dedicated time scheduled after important tasks, I think, is is critical. And if you ask any fighter pilot, the most effective learning comes in the debrief. Okay. I assume the uh, the planning stage of that is, is quite lengthy too what you guys do correct even for training sorties the planning will be anywhere from three to 12 hours but sometimes for real world missions we're planning years into the future so there is an extensive amount of mission planning that goes into it yeah yeah you often hear that a lot of people and guilty as uh don't spend enough time in the planning stages or even the the debriefing stages before resetting and and going again And I would say the debriefing is is the one that I see uh, passed over mm-hmm. the most. So I see a lot yeah. of people planning, a lot of people yeah. paralyzed by making decisions. One of the sayings we have uh, is that no decision is a decision, and it's usually the worst one to make. So we have so many decisions to make that if people are getting hung up, especially on non-important ones, you're going to allocate all your time towards you know one non-important decision when you can make that quickly, move on to the next one. So I would say people need to speed up their mission planning but they need to spend some more time debriefing from in general, from what I've seen. Okay. How do we, how do we get better at making decisions about, you know, what's, what's important to focus on, what's not important to focus on, therefore moving on and, and debriefing the, the potentially yeah. more critical 
Toss. So one of the one of the chapters in the book I talk about is Eisenhower's decision to delay D-Day by a day. So there's uh, some poor weather. He chose to delay it for a day. And even though there's a very narrow window of weather, he chose to execute. And so I go through the decision making in the book. But ultimately, Eisenhower was a master at understanding the difference between what was important and what was urgent. And so he would compare those two. And so you can make a quadrant out of them. If you can imagine what's important and what's urgent, that's obviously the most important thing. Most people don't struggle with that. But then a lot of people struggle with what to do, something that's urgent or important. And due to an effect called the urgency effect, most of us bias towards what's urgent. And so those are the email notifications, the meeting invites, things that are just sapping your attention away. And so you know, one of the studies in the book that I cite is if you can just write your tasks down into and put them into these quadrants, what's important uh, and urgent, what's urgent, that's not important, what's not urgent, but important, and what's not urgent and not important. If you can just write your tasks down, you can increase your ability to prioritize by 60%. So I think that's the, the first thing you can do to help yourself to prioritize. Yeah. I think it was in a book by Stephen Covey, and he talks about that quadrant Important, not important, necessary, uh, unnecessary, Correct. potentially. Okay, yeah, th- um, I know. I you know a lot of people theory. have 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 run with uh, Eisenhower's uh, decision making matrix. Yeah, Eisenhower's. Okay, so when you're in a debriefing session, do you guys bring out that chart and put down all the the tasks or thoughts that you need to discuss? So the way we break it down uh, in our debriefs is through assess, choose, and execute. And that's kind of how I wrote the book. So first, being able to assess the problem in front of you. So if you don't have a proper assessment of the problem, you're not going to be able to consistently make good decisions. So that can be when we're flying, did we see the correct thing? Did we interpret it correctly? Did we hear the right radio call? After that, did we choose the correct course of action? So we have a lot of tactics. It's like a you know, a sports playbook. So there are a lot of different things we can do based on what we're seeing. Did we choose the correct tactic? And then lastly, did we execute it correctly? So there are a lot of buttons, a lot of switch actuations in the jet. It's easy to screw one of those things up. So did we execute it correctly? So that's really how we trap the errors and how we categorize it uh, to be able to improve for the next time. Assess, choose, and execute. So you'd sit down and, and then look at those three factors as part of what you've just done. Correct. And what part of those areas could could be done better? Correct. Um, what are the common errors you, you find in that sort of process of doing that? It's all over the place. So different people struggle with different aspects of it. So yeah. a lot of people aren't able to optimize their cross-check. So our cross-check is what we're focusing our attention on. So they're not focusing it on the most important things throughout the different stages of flight we have to focus on different aspects and there are different variables to focus on. That's one of the things I talk in the book is how to identify those key variables of what's important, what's not. And I go into to power laws for that. So a lot of people struggle with that. A lot of people struggle with shedding tasks and prioritizing. So they want to do everything perfectly. And with the, the missions that we're flying, we're pushing people to, to go past their limit. So they're going to have to shed tasks that they want to do. And so that a lot of people, especially young pilots, they don't do that smartly. And so they get task saturated and they don't have a smart plan for being able to to, to free up some mental bandwidth. Mm. So that's that's one. Another one, especially with young pilots, is being able to execute correctly. So they will... They will uh, I guess the the sports word for it is choke. So they will do be doing something that they know how to do. They'll make a small mistake 
and then the wheels will fall off the bus. They'll continue to, it'll snowball, continue to make mistakes because they're spending mental bandwidth worrying about that mistake. And that's mental bandwidth that can't go into getting themselves out of the situation that they just got themselves into. So different pilots have struggled with different aspects. Right. So it's uh, sort of, you know, so executing, I mean, you can practice every day in training, but then under pressure, harder for them to execute. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's true. Putting, adding more pressure is important. Another saying we have is that as soon as you put on your helmet, you lose 20 IQ points. So it right. looks easy on the ground, gets a lot more difficult when you're pulling these G-forces, flying at these speeds, when your lives on the line, you could easily run into another jet. So it gets much more difficult when you're in the air. So finding a way to smartly put pressure on these students is important. There's an optimal zone of performance. If they go past it, they'll be out of their element. They'll, uh, they, they'll be struggling. One of the studies that the Air Force has done, they started noticing this in World War II that good pilots were making stupid mistakes in combat. And they were finding that they were overly stressed. And one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest issues with becoming too stressed is you lose your ability to spatially orient yourself and have situational awareness of whether, where other aircraft are in space. That's one of the first skills to lose. And that's obviously really important for a pilot. So, so those are some important aspects. How do you overcome that with the, you know, with your training? I mean, do you have any mental tools that you can help people be more aware? Because I just go to the tennis courts and think of the players in that in that break point pressure situation mm-hmm. where, you know, even though you, you know you can do it, you, um, you fumble under pressure. Yeah, so the first thing is going to be preparation. So there's nothing, there's yeah. no anecdote to... Uh, to solving, uh, not, not, not having proper preparation. So we spend a lot of time being able to rehearse this and practice it. You don't rise to the level of your expectation. You fall to the level of your preparation. So we will make our mission scenarios more complicated than what we'll see in combat. So that's the number one thing. Now there are some little tools and tricks that can give you 5%, 10% performance here, which is a big boost. Uh, but still, it's not going to overcome a lack of preparation. So one of them is being able to control your breathing, so that's the that's probably the primary way to be able to slow the stress down, to be able to uh, put yourself back into the optimal zone of performance. Right. One of the one of the most uh, stressful things for new pilots is airborne refueling. So being able to touch another jet going 300 knots, about 350 miles an hour. Um, so they can be pretty stressed out, and they'll be what we call squeezing the paint out of the stick. And so being able to control their breathing, box breathing, five seconds in, hold five seconds, five seconds out, hold five seconds, that will activate the parasympathetic nervous system and slow them down to get them back into that optimal zone of performance. There's also self-talk. So there's there's a couple of uh, techniques to be able to uh, to overcome that. Another is just having that debrief set aside. So you don't want to debrief yourself when you're actually performing the event. You wanna tell yourself, you know, I'm, I, you want to stay in the present moment and you'll have a dedicated time. That's why it's so important to schedule it afterwards to assess yourself and to debrief yourself. You don't want to do that in the moment. So already knowing that that debrief's there, so you're not going to be, you know, tempted to do it in the moment so you Correct. can stay present. Okay, cool. I like it. Um, you've probably got many more practices, et cetera, in the book um, on the higher level sort of area, but that breath work, you know, five seconds in, five seconds out, is that something that you practice daily yourself? Um, how does that look? So it depends. So I would say 
don't people shouldn't get caught up in the five seconds, four seconds. That's called box breathing, where it's uh, you know four uh, equal uh, breaths. Uh, it really depends on your oxygen demand. So sometimes when we're dogfighting, our heart rates will get up to 170, 180 beats a minute. So you need a higher oxygen demand so that box breathing won't quite work. So we have triangle breathing, five seconds in, five seconds out, hold for five seconds. So there are different types of breathing, but I would say the most important thing is just slowing down your breathing, slowing down your par or activating your parasympathetic nervous system and returning yourself back to an optimal state. So yeah, the breathing is something that I do. I don't know if it's if it's a daily thing, but when I notice that I'm getting a little bit uh, stressed out, that's what I'll use to get back into the uh, the optimal zone. Okay, what do you do to stay level headed in your field of work um, day to day? What are your rituals and routines? Uh, I, well, I am a big fan of of routines, so I do everything yeah. the exact same way. So how I strap into the jet is exactly the same. How I do all the checks is exactly the same. So it becomes second nature. So it becomes a lot more comfortable. Now, when I switched from the F-16 to the F-35, it took me about a year to get comfortable with the F-35 because all those uh, all those routines were different. And so I was thinking F-16 and it would take me a couple seconds to translate into the F-35. And the speeds were flying, it's a mile every three seconds. Uh, it was much too slow. So it took me about a, a year before that stuff became second nature. So I would say that's one of the key ways the routine, to, uh, to feel more comfortable. Why, why are you a fan of routines? What would you say are the benefits of having good routine? It frees up cognitive bandwidth. So yeah. it's, it becomes automatic. So you can focus, use your cognitive bandwidth for the important decisions because that yeah. stuff's already automatic. You need the basics down, how to start up the jet, how to do all those basics. You can have that all, all ready to go. Um, or you can put it down on a checklist if that's if that's your technique. But uh, you want to be using your bandwidth, your critical thinking for the important decisions. Mm, no, it makes sense. And what about on the day to day level, as far as you know your your physical routines? How do you mentally train and prepare for each day? Do you have any habits and, and routines that you incorporate to your day to day life? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're flying, even though we're just sitting in a seat, it's a crushing amount of force on our body. So upwards of nine times the force of gravity. So you you weigh nine times as much. Each arm for me weighs 250 pounds, uh, 135 pounds just on my neck. So the problem is if you lose enough blood, you can pass out and you can uh, you can die because you'll hit the ground before you wake up. So, so for me, I, I work out every day. I like working out in the morning, get the blood flowing. There's a lot of um, human performance stuff that I do. So trying to get sunlight, trying to stay hydrated, just 3% dehydrated, you can reduce your G tolerance time by 50%. Um, eating healthy, sleeping. So I have routines for everything. So I'm a big fan of routines, making things automatic um, so that you can increase your, your performance without having to spend a lot of dedicated time thinking about it. Okay. Any particular practices that you'd like to share with the audience that you, you typically do? That uh, working out, I would say working okay. out is yeah. the single best thing that, that probably anybody can do for their health. So one, yeah. it teaches discipline Two, it helps you to handle more stress. Three, it makes you stronger. It makes your cardio better. One of the issues that we have, uh, that, uh, that new pilots sometimes have is their cardio isn't up to speed. So as you get more tired, you start making poor and poor decisions. So you want to be in peak performance to be able to absorb that stress and so one of the key ways to do that is through physical exercise. So I'm a huge fan of working out every day. 
Now you don't have to, to, to kill yourself every day, but you know, a, a 30, 40 minute session every morning. Um, that's, I'm a fan of that. Yeah. How do you stay mentally fit in your role? I mean, obviously that probably plays a big part in everything that you do, uh, including your sleep. And if, obviously, as you said, if you're tired, you make worse decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of the same things from a uh, foundational perspective, making sure you sleep, making sure you eat well, staying hydrated. Our missions in Afghanistan would sometimes be six, eight hours long. So that's a long time to be flying a jet and to be focused and locked in. So uh, mm. it can be challenging to do that. Uh, finding ways to take s- small breaks to be able to uh, to prolong that period of being able to stay alert. Um, again, working out to, to be able to absorb uh, the stress for that long of a period of time, and then just continuing to operate. So if, you know, you can't expect to just step into the arena one day without training and then to, to be able to, to crush it and be able to fly an eight hour sortie, you have to work your way up. You have to prepare for that. And you'll practice as well. And do you have any mindfulness meditation sort of things that you, you promote or do yourself to help relax and unwind? Yeah, I think meditation is important. So that's one of the key skills that I started using in Afghanistan because we were doing some very stressful missions. So being able to unwind, um, being able to meditate to unwind was an important part of that. And it also helps to control your focus. Again, you know, no sortie is going to be perfect when you're flying. You're going to make mistakes. You need to focus on the present moment. And meditating is one of the best tools to be able to, to realize that you've your mind has strayed and then to come back to the present moment. So I'm a big Mm -hmm. fan of meditation. I think it's important to be able to, to take it off the mat. So not just do it in a sterile environment to, to be able to learn those techniques when you're working out to learn them when they're actually in your job, you know, the ultimate goal is to be able to use it when you're actually stressed. Mm. Yeah. Nice one. So we talked a lot about, um, you know, developing, um, better decision-making abilities, but what about learning? Like what, what are some of the techniques we can do to learn better and faster? Most important thing is to prioritize concepts over facts. So information does not equal wisdom. So being able to, to come up with concepts. So one thing with the, uh, with flying is there are a lot of facts to memorize. And so that's one of the things we tried to stray away from when we were developing the F-35 syllabus is prioritizing those concepts because the facts, especially when you're using intelligence to, to come up with those facts, they change day to day. So so that's one of the things we did was de-emphasize the facts and increase uh, the uh, the concepts so that we can understand the, uh, the edge cases over a wide circumstance. So uh, I think that's the most important thing, being able to work backwards from your overall goal. So for us, that was making a wingman that could survive and thrive into the late 2030s. And so working our way backwards of what do we need to make that happen as opposed to just relying on dogma. So for instance, the F-35, it will tell you if there's an issue with the jet. So we didn't have to have students memorize the oil pressure or the the fuel pressure, things like legacy fighters had to do. If it mm-hmm. If there's an oil pressure it'll turn yellow. If there's an issue, it'll turn red if it's bad. So we needed students to, to focus their mental bandwidth on how, you know, the, the actuations that they needed to do inside the jet, as opposed to just memorizing things. Cause that's the way it was done. Do you still, um, do you still train the, the newer pilots in the F-16? F-35. So, 
Well, so I do. I'm, I'm in the reservist. I'm in the reservist side now. So I fly only a couple times a month. I do do student training rides, um, but my primary job is is riding now. Is riding. Yeah. Well, Alex, anything um, from the book that you want to share? Any interesting stories or um, tools that we haven't touched on potentially? Uh, I think you covered a lot of it. Um, you know, it's just been really uh, amazing to see how it's been received. So it was a Wall Street Journal number two bestseller in the country. It's uh, one of Amazon's top books of 2023, and it was selected as the as a must read by the Next Big Idea Club with Malcolm Gladwell. So it's just been great writing a book. It's a multi year journey. I wrote every word in this book. So you know, we talked about the debrief. You don't get a debrief on a book for years, and so it's great that it's finally out in the world and people are liking it. Um, so I'm I'm just happy to see that. What's next for you? I don't know. That's a good question. So. Hmm. I'm taking a little bit of a, a breather right now, just uh, doing podcast interviews, talking about the book, and uh, just just trying to assess what's going on. I'm going to assess, choose, and execute a decision pretty soon. Okay, nice. And you got a, a fairly popular YouTube channel, the um, one of the most viewed military aviation channels on YouTube. Correct. Well. So we'll keep working on that. Yeah, I, I like being able to share military aviation with with the civilian world. So mm. doing some cool projects with that. The latest video, we just showed the most realistic dogfighting footage ever recorded. So that was in conjunction with uh, Nellis Air Force Base, the 422 Test and Evaluation Squadron, and an uh, organization called the Defense Innovation Unit. So just getting the word out there, showing you know what these jets can do, that's, that's a passion for mine. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. Another thing we did is we took a UFC fighter, Tito Ortiz, and put him in the centrifuge, spun him up to nine Gs. He wanted to to see what it was like, and I think a lot of viewers wanted to see if he could survive the uh, the nine G centrifuge. So I won't spoil it, but uh, it was pretty Go over there and video. watch it. Yeah. So you got the YouTube channel. I'll stick the links in the show notes for that. Um, you've also got a website. Um, what, what's the best way for people to reach out to you and connect? I would say all social media under Hazard Lee H A S A R D Lee L E E. So. Uh, yeah. Instagram, Twitter, go to the website, hazardly.com, um, any of those, LinkedIn. Hazardly, yeah. So go to hazardly.com. They've got all the links there as well to all the social channels. Uh, mate, thanks for coming on. So, um, yeah, interesting conversation and I'm um, looking forward to delving more into the book as well. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Guys, check it out at thehiddenwire.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcast. 
You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose. And in doing so, you will discover your hidden why. This is The Hidden Why. My name is Lee Manutzi. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon.